Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. And so we're talking about this plan that God has for us. This extraordinary, amazing, special plan that he has for each one of us. Now, if we look at it from Genesis to Revelation, God's plan is laid out in this book called the Bible. We see what he's willing to do is to take his children, these people, us who were once sinners, who are now called saints, called children of God. He's willing to take us from a place of brokenness and desperation and actually make us right with him, that we would have a place with him for eternity. Now, the, the, the thing that, that I worry about sometimes is that if you were raised in the church, you've heard the Christmas story a thousand times. You've heard the Easter story a thousand times. You've read it. And sometimes we can just kind of like gloss over this. God's plan is for you to be right with him. Yeah, amen. It's good. It's good. I, mean, I, spent, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Like, what was God's plan from before time even existed, before seconds were even ticking, before the earth was even uh, created, before the first man and woman were ever on the face of this earth. I started looking at God's activity and looking at the patterns of what God was doing with his people. And it is quite amazing when you think about it. We just have to slow down and think about it and appreciate what God is truly doing with us. What I want to do is just point out, I think it's uh, four different chunks of scripture. I'm going to read a little bit, just talk just a little bit on each one. And look if we could see patterns of what God's activity is with the man and women who he created to find out what this plan is. Starting in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, the woman, the woman was convinced. This is after the serpent had tempted her to eat the fruit from the one tree that God said, don't eat from it. So she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At the moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they had no clothes on. There was no shame. There was no sin and all was good. Everything was pure at that moment. When sin comes in, now they feel that shame. So what do they do? It says they sewed fig leaves uh, together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God from among the, tree, among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? I want you to see in verse seven, at the moment of sin, they felt shame. Shame comes upon them. The serpent wins at that point, right? He's winning that first battle because they now sin. They fall short of his glory. They feel shame. So what do they try to do? They try to cover it up themselves, right? They take the fig leaves and they cover it up, which of course isn't going to work. And we often do the same thing too. We try to cover up our own shame and then we hide from the Lord. But I want you to see in verse eight, what was happening? It says, the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. I want you to just stop right here. Now, before sin ever entered the world, God's plan was going great, right? Right? He had created the earth. He created man and woman with a free will to choose to love him. So what happened? What was happening that was according to God's will? 
I'm going to show you this. Anthony, Joe, I'm going to have you guys come up because you're the only ones I could pick on without any notice. You're walking in the garden. You're Adam and Eve. Sorry, you guys have chosen to eat the fruit. No, you're already covered with fig leaves. Already covered. Already covered with fig leaves. Thank you, Anthony. Does it say, does, does your Bible say that God called out, where are you from heaven? Where was the Lord God at the beginning of time that he created? I want you to follow this out. Because a lot of times we picture God as this distant God, long beard, about you know, 95 years old, with his mean voice, stern, where are you? But even after Adam and Eve sinned, and even after they sowed the fig leaves, God, I'll be the part of God, coming, and this is heaven, and this is earth, God was down here on earth. And he is the one that crafted Adam out of dust. He's the one that blew into Adam's lungs and brought life. The spirit of God brought life to Adam. So God is like, this is where it's so amazing. This is where it's so extraordinary. If you picture at the beginning of mankind, God chose to not be far off in heaven but he actually chose to walk with them. I don't know where his permanent dwelling place, I don't know if he went up here at nighttime so he can get some rest, then he came back down during the day. I don't know that. What I know is, is that he was walking in the same garden that he created man and woman to live in. I mean, just, just sitting there thinking about that, this God, this God who's perfect and holy and just, This God that we don't even deserve to be close with, he chooses to come close to them. And then they sin, and does he go like this? No, I can't. I can't have anything to do with sin. I can't have anything to do with sin. No, he's still walking. He's saying, where are you? And they're saying, well, we sinned. We felt the shame, right? So now we hid. Now, what kind of God do we have when you think about what his plan is from the very beginning? That even when our shame comes on us and we hide from him, he still pursues us. There's no other religion in the world. I started thinking about Hindus, Buddhism, and Islam, all these things. All these other religions, when you mess up, their God, their false God is mad at them, far away from them. They have to cut themselves and do all these things to get right. At the very first sin, God could have said, I'm out of here. He is pursuing them. They're hiding and he's pursuing them. I'm gonna call you up in a little bit, but you can sit back down. (laughs) So we see these fig leaves. The fig leaves are gonna dry out, folks. They're gonna die, they're gonna crumble. It's not enough to cover their shame. So when you pick up in Genesis chapter three, verse 21, it says, the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then he said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. See, remember, we were created in his image of goodness, mercy, compassion, all those things. But we weren't designed to operate in evil. We weren't designed to operate in sin. We were designed to just simply follow our father. But he's saying, listen, now they know it. What would happen if they take the fruit and eat from the tree of life? He says, then they'll live forever. But then what will happen is they would live forever caught in sin. They would be stuck on this earth, in a physical body, in sin, and never get to enjoy God's original plan for them. So he banished them from the Garden of Eden. Again, we think God's mad at them. This is your consequence. 
kick them out. No, he was protecting them from being caught forever in their sin. So I want you to look in verse 21. God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife. See, the fig, the fig leaves and all those things, it wasn't gonna cut it. So there were consequences for their sin, right? They broke communion with God, but God still covered their shame. Now, what had to happen to the animal before God could use the skins to cover Adam and Eve? Yeah, the animal had to die, which means blood had to be shed. So it's amazing. If you look at the, if you look at the entire Old Testament through the lenses of grace and Jesus, Jesus coming, Jesus coming, God, from the time, oh, I'm sure he had this thought out beforehand, but from the time sin entered this earth, his plan was already in place, already pointing people to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, to the shed blood of Jesus. So even God, which again, if he made, think about this, God could have had an angel come down and whip something real good for Adam and Eve, but it says that he made garments out of animal skin for Adam and Eve the ones who sinned against him, the ones who rebelled against him, who thought they could do it on their own. And our God, still dwelling on this earth at the time, made animal skins for them and covered their shame, all pointing forward to Jesus. I'm not gonna spend time for the sake of time, but throughout the Old Testament, there's an elaborate system in the Old Covenant, which is explained throughout the Old Testament, required the blood of animals for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, in Hebrews chapter nine, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this covering of sins, it was not permanent. It did not last. There was once a year, the day of atonement, and there were other sacrifices, offerings. There was a whole system and process that you had to go through once you've sinned or if you entered into a season of uncleanliness. But if you look at the entire Old Covenant, Old Testament, from the items in the temple to how they offered sacrifices, it all pointed to Jesus. It all showed them just one more piece of God's plan. So in Genesis, God actually dwelt. He came down to be with man and woman. Now, even when they were in the wilderness, what did God do? Uh, um, Anthony, I'll use you for another moment. So God's in heaven, right? And he's telling uh, Moses and he's telling all these guys what to do and to create this tabernacle, which will eventually become the temple. But what happened? Did God speak to Moses all the way from heaven? What did he say? He said he, uh, Moses was supposed to come up to the mountaintop and God came down to meet him face to face. So they're walking in sin and they're disobedient and they're rebelling. But do you see a pattern yet here? God didn't stay way out there. He came down to meet with Moses. And then even in, thank you, and then even in the tabernacle, God's presence, his holy presence came down in the most holy place. And then it came, Galatians chapter four. But when the right time came, many of your translations say in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. The same law that Moses and all of these Israelites were subject to. It says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. You can't pass that up too quickly. God's plan from when he was walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, the next phase of this plan that in the fullness of time, 
when the social and economic and religious and spiritual, when all those periods came together and the time was perfect for God to send Jesus, it was for the purpose of God adopting us as sons and daughters. I don't know much about the adoption process, but I would assume that when the father and the mother take possession of the kids, they have to be there, don't they? They probably can't be back in their own, in their own uh, house saying, yes, send the children to me. Send them over to me, please. No, but what I read is that fathers are close to their kids. It says, and because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is not just that word Father. It's an intimate name that could equate in the street language of the day as Daddy. I know a lot of us might have a hard time understanding that we actually have the opportunity to call this perfect and holy God, this judge of all the world and creator of everything that holds it together. We have the opportunity to call him daddy. It says, now you are no longer a slave to God's own child. And since you are his children, God made you his heir. So prophecies throughout the Old Testament were foretelling how and where Jesus was gonna be born. And at the perfect time, God said, now let's go. God sent his son. You guys can come on back up. So they're just... Anthony and Jill are just people living in what we would call Old Testament times, okay? Now, we look at this as the perfect time is like, oh, they're just dirty, rotten sinners, and God's like, oh my goodness, if I don't do it now, like, we're in big trouble. But God switched my view of it this week. Is he actually, I, I, I asked the question, this is just my thought, I don't have a verse for it. But I wonder if he missed being with us. Like, man, I remember walking in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve before sin ever came, Enough is enough. God the Father came once, son, I'm sending you this time. And Jesus comes and he dwells with us. So the far off God that we look like when, when we're worshiping, sometimes like we'll look like well, up there. It's like, is he up there somewhere? This far off God that we think actually came, he chose to come and dwell with us for 33 and a half years. His plan was he was with us in the beginning. The plan was put in place that at the perfect time, in the fullness of time, as man and woman were still caught in sin, he came to dwell with us. No longer far off. So what happens 33 and a half years later? Stay here. Jesus ascends back to the Father. So God the Father had his go. God the Son had his go. What does that verse say? God sent who? The Spirit of his Son. So Jesus, God the Son, ascends, and who descends? The Holy Spirit. Are you finding a pattern in what God's amazing, extraordinary plan is? It's not that we fight up this ladder to one day see him, but his heart for us is so pure and so in love with us. His plan, his amazing plan, his plans beyond all of our belief is to be with us. And we think maybe one day, maybe one day you'll give me a chance to be with you and we're looking up and he's like, um, wait a minute, I, spent this, I sent the spirit of my son to actually be in you. So you can look up and you can imagine that God's up there, but God's in here. It's amazing. I might ask for you one more time. You go sit down. 
Are you following this? God the Father on earth. Back up. God the Son on earth. Back up. God the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus now dwelling within us who are called the children of God. In 2 Peter, it talks about God's patience with us. So we might be waiting, like some of us say, oh, I just can't wait until Jesus returns. I just can't wait to get out of here. Listen, there are a lot of people that are dying and going to hell. So like, let's be used to our maximum capacity while we're here. Let's not rush this thing. When he wants to return, he's gonna return. We, we don't get a say in that. We have to be responsible with our lives while we're here. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, you must not forget this one thing. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So at the fullness of time, God sent his son. And now at the fullness of time, he's going to do what? Is Jesus going to sit way up here and judge? No. What's going to happen? We see it in 1 Thessalonians 4, and then we see it again in Revelation 19, then we see it again in Revelation 20. Joe, I'll use you this time. So what we know his plan is, is that every single person would repent. Now, what we get in our minds sometimes is just this Christmas story, okay? It's like, where's baby Jesus? He's not born yet. No, is he there? He's in, okay. We didn't forget Jesus, no, Joe. I just didn't see him right there on the second step. What we do, if we close ourselves off just to this Christmas story, then we think, okay, God's entire plan for all of the universe was for him to send his son just so our sins are forgiven. And we could say, well, that's true. Okay, well, he was born to die. So then in his death and then in his resurrection, now we were born so we can have eternal life. Okay, and then if we, think, if we close ourselves off just to the Christmas story, and I'm not saying anything bad about this, if we close ourselves off to this just being God's plan, then we're saying, okay, you, you, you basically put up with us long enough. Now you've covered our sins. So one day we could be zapped up to be with you. But if we look at what he's saying, he's saying, I want all to repent. So in 1 Thessalonians 4, it talks about Jesus coming out of heaven to meet those who have died. You can come up here. You're, this is the cloud. It's earth, cloud, heaven, right there. Okay, not higher. No, sorry. So he can meet those who have, the believers who have passed away. They're going to rise first, okay? This is in the clouds. Jesus leaves heaven to do this. You can go ahead and sit down, Joe. And then in, in the end of Revelation, it talks about, actually, I should have kept you up here, but that's okay. Um, it talks about now that she is with Jesus, the rider on the white cloud, what does he do? Heaven opens up and the rider on the white cloud comes down. And who's with him? All of the righteous wearing white robes. And with one word that comes out of his mouth like a sword, the word of God destroys the enemy. So Jesus doesn't go right back up. Jesus stays on earth and rules and reigns for a thousand years. Do you see? I'm not limiting God. I'm not making him like human. I'm just saying, oh my goodness, how amazing is our God? holy and perfect and just and is choosing to spend this much time on earth with us. He must really, really love you. He must really love you. I bet you it ends different. I bet you we go up. <laughs> Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared. 
And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. So yes, you, when, when you pass away, we believe you're in the presence of God immediately. But you're not going up in this eternal elevator to stay up in some cloud somewhere. Watch what happens. It says, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, verse three. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, Anthony Angel, one more time. <laughs> I should have just had you like sit on the floor right there. Now check this out. Because we would want to say, look, our home is now among God. We, get fi- we finally get to be with him, right? That should be the cry of our heart, that we get to spend all eternity with him in all perfection. But how does this loud voice, how does this angel decide to declare it? I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he says, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Adam, you can come up. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. So as this old earth and as the old heaven, it says, that, it says everything in the earth deserves judgment. I often wonder before the fall, again, not in the Bible, just my wonderings. I often wonder if there was dirt before the fall, or if it was just all jasper, all gold, all gems, just perfection. We think we're going to be floating in a cloud and we're not. We're going to be in the new Jerusalem where God doesn't say, y'all come up here to the cloud. But God says, you know how this started way back here? This was my plan. My plan was to be with Adam and Eve. They messed that up, but I covered their shame and I had a plan in place. Then I sent my son, 33 and a half years. Everybody who says yes from that time on receives the spirit of God. And the final judgment, or I'm sorry, the final, um, the, the, the believers are caught up with him to meet him in the clouds, the final battle, the final judgment. And then at the end of the book, it says that the declaration is that God finally gets to be with his people. He's gonna live with them in the new Jerusalem. That's why there's perfection. That's why there's no more crying, pain, death, because God himself has the opportunity to now live with us face to face. And then somehow we're not going to die from that. We've already died our physical death, but we're going to experience the glory like never before. And he's going to see his plan laid out forevermore. You guys could sit down. So what I thought was going to be a message on his plan to send Jesus. I just said, I want to go to the beginning of the book and see how this all was laid out. And I've, I've read the verses before about God walking in the cool of the day. But he showed me Jesus, this, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus. All, without that, we have nothing, right? Without that, we're not right with God. But his plan from the beginning of time wasn't just to take sinners to cover them. His plan was that he would be with his people. And for him to do that, then sin has to be covered. Shame has to be gone. We're his children. We can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. I don't, I don't have, I don't have a, a clean ending into the message. 
It's amazing and astounding to me that a God who could stay, say, stay so far off and require so much from us, if you look at the book from beginning to end, his desire in his heart is to be with us. So it's impossible to walk with guilt and shame about mistakes you've made when you catch the heart of God. Because if you do, you won't want to come into his presence. If you're feeling the guilt and shame of things, like confess it and repent and get away from it as quick as possible so you can understand once again, wow, like you want to be with me. Yeah, Heavenly Father, Father, we can't even come, become to start grasping what this all even means, Lord. Our minds are so limited to understand how a God who created us, like wants to spend time with us, even when we mess up, even when we fall short, even when we sin. You are amazing. You are extraordinary. You are special in every way. Father, it does something to my heart to even think that you're looking forward to coming out of this heaven to be with us forever in the new Jerusalem. It does something to me to think that you didn't just create us as these puppets and now send us off onto earth to do it ourselves, but you were spending like physical time with Adam and Eve. That Jesus spent physical time at the perfect time. That you didn't even stop there, God. That you sent the spirit of Jesus to come and live in our hearts so that there'd be a connection. We would know that our Father is close by. Even when we're running away, you're chasing after us. Even when we're hiding and we're trying to cover our own shame with our own fig leaves, you're calling out, where are you? Where are you? You never give up on us. God, we know that your plan is today that none should perish, that none should be destroyed, that all should come to repentance and know that you are God. And it's not so you get your fix of people worshiping you. It's not so you get your way. It's because you love us so much. And you know what all of eternity is going to look like in your presence. No more crying. No more death. No more sickness. No more shame. It's possible because you sent Jesus this perfect birth, perfect life, perfect sacrifice, perfect resurrection. So Heavenly Father, today I do, I stand here in awe once again in this moment to just say, wow, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we're we're not put on some spiritual elevator to try to push the right button so we could get up there. I thank you that it is your plan to be with the people that you crafted out. You crafted out of the earth and you blew life into. It was always your intention from the beginning of all mankind to be with us. And today we just say thank you, Lord. It's- 
Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.